Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Casual Fight Fan Podcast. This is your host, JJ, and thanks for tuning in. Today we're going to be talking about TJ Dillashaw and his fight against Corey Sandhagen at UFC Fight Night last night. This was an event that I highly anticipated. For folks who don't know, last night's bout marked TJ Dillashaw's coming out of a two-year suspension by USADA for doing EPO a substance that increases the red blood cell count and supercharges an athlete's endurance. Going into this fight, I really wondered if he would come back the same fighter that he was when he left the game. It's definitely been a minute, and in a sport like MMA, so much can happen in that time. Fortunately for the fans, we got to see a great version of Dillashaw last night. Although he definitely didn't dominate the fight by any measure, He demonstrated that he still got the skill and the movement, and ring rust hasn't caught up with him just yet. His opponent, the Sandman, also deserves a lot of credit for the fight. During the match, Corey was decorating Dillashaw's face with strikes, and it was a close-fought battle. A lot of pros, including UFC light heavyweight Anthony Smith and former referee Big John McCarthy, had Sanhagen winning the fight, so you know he had every right to complain about the results but he took the defeat very admirably, and you have to respect him for that. Going into this fight, there was a lot on the line for TJ, mainly for two reasons. First, he's not necessarily young anymore, and the two-year suspension didn't exactly help him with that. Making a comeback at 35, he is now among the ranks of older competitors in the division, and fighters only have so many good years with which they can compete. If TJ lost to Sandhagen, that would put him at least two wins away from a title shot, and at 35, that just seems like an almost impossible task. Uh, What's more is that TJ has to prove to everyone that EPO wasn't the main reason he was so dominant in his run as Bantamweight champion a couple years ago before he left the sport. Yes, EPO does expand your gas tank, and yes, it happened to synergize perfectly with Dillashaw's style of high-volume output striking, so naturally, you're going to have a lot of people questioning if TJ would have the same style without his quote-unquote secret sauce. TJ had the burden of proving that he can still fight at the same pace without his EPO, and I think he did just that in the fight last night. He demonstrated excellent head movement, a good game plan, and decent switch combos, so that's what we'll be analyzing in our episode today. Good game plan. So, going into this fight, Dillashaw displayed very good game planning and preparation against all of Corey Sandhagen's weapons. For instance, in the Sandman's last fight, he knocked out Frankie Edgar with a first round flying knee. In the first round of last night's fight, we saw how Corey tried to use the same tactic but Dillashaw was ready for that move, opting to grab onto the leg and take Sandhagen down. From this exchange, we can see that Dillashaw has done his homework and vaccinated himself from some of Corey's best weapons. But we also see that Sandman is no joke on the ground either. He evidently has practiced counters to his opponent's counters to the flying knee, as demonstrated when he transitions beautifully into a reverse triangle that tightly locks around TJ's head and arm. Ultimately though, TJ is able to posture up and get out of the choke, and I think it's fair to say he proceeds to impose his will over Corey for the rest of the round on the ground. 
From this exchange, we see TJ shutting down Corey's game of throwing long strikes from range by bringing the fight in close and unpredictably turning striking exchanges into grappling. Throughout the whole fight, we see Dillashaw utilizing his wrestling to nullify the reach advantage of Corey Sandhagen, and every time he finds an opening, he shoots and takes Corey's back. While TJ didn't always succeed in completing his takedowns, he had an awful lot of control time from Corey's back, holding that body lock, which prevented Corey from utilizing his excellent striking. Another excellent strategy by Dillashaw was to keep the pressure on Sandhagen, forcing him to backpedal as he advanced forward and threatened the takedowns. In the post-fight press conference, TJ said that that was part of his game plan to keep Corey on his heels because he's not a counter-striker. Mm, I partially agree with him. Sandhagen does show skills throwing strikes while on his heel. He's an excellent jab, and just by virtue of his long reach, he's able to land more than a few counter-shots in the fight, even while backing up. At the end of the fight, TJ's face is battered up with blood, while Corey still looks pretty fresh, no cuts, no blood, etc. So it's not entirely merited to say that Corey's not a good fighter on the retreat. However, you have to wonder if he's not as effective or efficient as when he is marching forward throwing the shots. For example, in his previous two fights, when his opponents allowed him to have that space, Corey showed the world beautiful spinning wheel kicks and flying knee attacks. So, I think it's fair to say that Dillashaw made the right move pushing Sandhagen up against the fence and not giving him the chance to use those weapons. Despite getting the win, a lot of things didn't end up going in TJ's way last night. He executed a good game plan and managed to convincingly show that he wasn't just sitting on his butt during the two-year layoff. But, despite this, the fight can't be said to have gone exactly smoothly for him, and there were instances when he was thwarted by Sandhagen. For instance, at the end of the first round, as the two fighters are grappling on the ground, Corey is able to lock up on TJ's left leg. In response, TJ punishes Corey by throwing hammer fists on his nose, and Corey has to let go in order to defend. In the fight replay, we see that TJ torqued his knee during that exchange, and it's pretty evident when it comes um, when he comes back in subsequent rounds that the injury took away a lot of his mobility. That being said, though, it just goes to show how tough TJ Dillashaw is, fighting through a popped knee and even throwing leg kicks with it occasionally. It's kind of reminiscent of how an injured Connor grinded his way to victory over Max Holloway despite having suffered a terrible ACL injury during that fight. TJ Dillashaw definitely showed doubters last night that he still has it, and that reclaiming a belt the third time isn't a far-off reality. Another setback Dillashaw faced was the huge cut on his right eyebrow that was dealt to him by Sandman during the second round. What's crazy is that in between the rounds, we got to see the bloody gash and just how deep it is, and there's even a moment when the camera gets a shot at the perfect angle, and it looks exactly like the cut that Scar has from The Lion King, except this time it's real and gory amounts of blood are gushing out from it. In the middle of that round, Herb Dean has to bring in the doctor to make sure it's okay to continue. Being the badass he is, TJ shrugs it off, saying of course he's okay to fight. Uh, so according to John McCarthy on the Wing In podcast, 
Apparently, the fire was in danger of being stopped because the cut was in an up-and-down direction rather than side-to-side, which meant that it involved a lot of different muscle groups, and it could have been cause for concern by the doctor. Despite his toughness, though, the cut does affect TJ, and for the rest of the fight, he has to use his hand to cover his eye like a pirate so as to clear up the blood. Because of the challenges that he encountered, Dillashaw was perhaps not able to perform to the fullest everything he had trained. He mentions in the post-fight interview doing a lot of groundwork at Gracie Baja, but not being able to display that skill due to his knee injury. Probably for the same reason, he lacked mobility from the second round on and didn't get to throw as many of the switch combos that he is so well known for. His movement-based combos are what distinguished him on his run for the title back in 2014, and it's one of the most exciting aspects of his game. Even though those weapons didn't play an overwhelmingly significant role in last night's fight, it's still worth a lot to analyze those combos and learn a thing or two from them. So the first combo that we'll take a look at is the cross step into a rear kick. This first combo is something that TJ is really good at in both orthodox and southpaw stance. From whatever position he's in, he throws a straight cross as a sort of decoy, and at the same time he steps forward at an angle with his lead foot to throw the rear high kick or body kick. He uses this a lot in both fights against Tenen Burrell and drops Cody Garbrandt with a variation of this move. The move seems counterintuitive because when throwing strikes, it's natural to get into a rhythm of alternating punches and kicks from opposite sides of the body. So for instance, an intuitive combo would be job cross, hook, rear kick, which is a punch from the lead side, punch from the rear side, hook from the lead side, kick from the rear side. Every strike sets you up for the next one, putting your hips in a position where they can rotate back and throw a punch or a kick for free just by virtue of the fact that your body is already moving in that direction. However, with a combo like the cross step and rear kick, that is two shots away from the same side of the body. You'd have to reset after throwing the cross to be able to throw the rear kick. The beauty of this combo is that the cross is actually just a setup for the kick, and because both strikes are coming from the same side, it throws the opponent off rhythm-wise. He will evade the punch but not see the kick coming because it is such a counterintuitive move. As you throw the cross, it's key to step in with the lead leg so you can get the maximum power from that rear kick. The opponent sees you throw the rear hand and could opt to slip the punch or parry it. Either way, he runs into the rear kick, which, depending on the angle, could be a body strike or a headshot. Another combo that we'll look at is the jab, switch stance, lead hook combo. Uh, this isn't really a combo, it's more of a one-off move. Um, it's uh, basically called a switch hook. So this is another one of TJ's signature combos. Starting from orthodox stance, he'll quickly change stances to southpaw and throw a lead hook off that right leg. Sometimes he'll also throw a jab from the orthodox position before going into this combo, as we see in his fights against Henan Burrell. So this combo is a gem for a couple of reasons. Traditionally, in a kickboxing discipline like Muay Thai, when a fighter shifts his feet to the opposite stance, that is a classic sign that he's going to throw a switch kick. During training, it's common to practice constantly shuffling the feet from one stance to the other, 
uh, to try to confuse your partner as to which side you're going to kick from. However, overwhelmingly, the underlying assumption here is that you're going to throw a kick by switching stances. When a guy like Dillashaw comes and switches stances to throw a lead hook, that is something so out of the blue, you don't even have time to react. As he switches to southpaw mentally, you're anticipating some form of the switch kick. And so you bring your hands up over to that side of the body to catch the shin, and then all of a sudden, bam, a powerful lead hook from the other side connects on your chin, and it's lights out. This didn't actually happen in his fight against Burrell, but it well could have. And the notion of throwing a punch off of a quick stance change seems so simple, yet it's amazing how powerful that tool actually is. Uh, as a side note, the credit for this switch combo should probably go to TJ's striking coach, Dwayne Bang Ludwig, who also has an instructional out on this called the Switch, uh, called the switch Series. It's a series about a lot of the punches that you can go uh, going off of that switch stance. When I first saw this move, it seemed like TJ was just getting lead hooks from totally random places, which is amazing considering that it was so unpredictable, yet it packed so much power behind it. It'll be interesting to see if this move becomes a staple in the upcoming years as MMA continues to evolve with the skills of the best fighters. So, with all of that said, I think this is pretty much all we have for today's episode. If you guys enjoy the content, please give this podcast a like and subscribe. I would really appreciate it. And if you have any feedback, what I should change, techniques I should analyze, fights I should watch, let me know that as well. You can shoot me an email at casualfightfanpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, until next time, see you guys.